0: Hey there faculty and students, happy Friday. This week I'd like to talk about a subject that arose during our most recent annual educational report and presentation from Dr. Larkin to the Education Policy Committee. And that was the topic of moving away from traditional grading in the clerkship phase and perhaps towards competency-based grading. A competency-based grading approach is already fully adopted and used in the graduate medical education level with the development of specialty-specific milestones and clinical competency committees. In our efforts to create a smooth UME-GME transition, and more importantly, to tailor our programming to learners and their own development, this possibility really needs to be explored. The EPC has formulated a rapid action team populated with fourth-year students GME and UME leaders, who will look to consider impact and feasibility of such a change at UMass, CHAN. In order to understand some of the terminology around this, I personally had to review the meaning of words like competency-based, standards-referenced, standards-based grading. And what I found was that competency-based grading really seems to be a medically or professionally specific term. More generally, in the educational world at large, you'll hear about standards-based and standards reference grading. These might also be called criterion-based and criterion-referenced grading. Standards and criterion are going to be used synonymously here, although there are some differences, and that's namely that the criterion might not actually be the educational standard, but for our purposes, we will assume that they are. So let's start with standard ref- standards-referenced grading. This is the more traditional type of grading that you might recall from high school, for example. A passing threshold is based on numbers, and anyone who got, let's say, a 70% or greater passed the test or the course, for example. This, the standards may be referenced in the creation of the materials or test. Standards-referenced is about the inputs into the course. The standards are used by faculty in teaching, testing, and the creation of materials. Whereas standards-based grading is more about making sure that the students learn what they were taught as they progress along. If their test score was an 85%, which would technically be passing in a standards reference environment, but that 15% deduction was on some critical concept or competency, they would not progress or pass without demonstrating that concept or competency on subsequent grading. Standards-based grading systems are about the outputs from the course or experience, if you will. The standards are used in determining progress for the learner. So I believe we're talking about standard or criterion-based grading in asking this question about competency-based grading for our clerkships. I'd like to turn now to consider a couple articles around competency-based grading. One of the first steps that we'll ask of this rapid action team is to review some materials previously published on the topic. So this review here might provide a head start for these people and help them to see what we're considering and grappling with. The first article we're going to look at is actually an opinion piece. It's an invited commentary. That was published in academic medicine in 2019 and it's called the core clerkship grading i'm sorry it's called core clerkship grading the illusion of objectivity and the authors are doctors Catherine lucy and karen Hower so i thought that this invited commentary was was really compelling and i'd recommend reading at least the abstract which i've linked in the newsletter for this week if you have any interest at all in this topic or if you teach in the clerkship phase I want to share one paragraph with you that I think really applies at our medical school and sets the stage for why the EPC feels that this should be explored. So here's the quote. Clerkship grading is the first high-stakes assessment within medical school and occurs just as students are newly immersed full-time in an environment which patient care supersedes their own needs as learners. Students earning high marks situate themselves to earn entry into competitive residency programs and selective specialties. However, there is no commonly accepted standard for how to assign clerkship grades, and the process is vulnerable to imprecision and bias. Rewarding learners for the speed with which they adapt inherently favors students who bring advantages acquired before medical school and discounts the goal of all learners achieving competence. That's the end of the quote. These authors also point out that our grading scheme for core clerkships, nationally anyways, hasn't changed despite the earlier and earlier start of the core clerkship phase. They also reason that this, and that's the case here, that quantitative ratings that are typically tied to learning objectives or standards are then converted to numeric grades. And so we lose some of that value and granularity in the process, but it's done primarily because residency selection processes necessitate this despite the non-standardization of how grades and class rank are assigned across the board nationally. So maladaptive behaviors have developed because of this focus on clerkship grades from both faculty and students. For example, Students become performance-focused rather than learning and improvement-focused, and learning and improvement are skills which require humility rather than performance. Students prioritize studying for discrete tests over the development of other skills or their time spent with patients. And faculty similarly focus on judging performance rather than coaching learners for success. The authors talk about how these maladaptive behaviors may even interfere with our professional contract with society, and that is our commitment to foster uh, the spirit of continuous learning and improvement in our future physicians. The authors do acknowledge that such a grading system requires four elements, frequent observation and feedback, students being rewarded for demonstrating learning and improvement, Third, understanding each student's starting point at the beginning of an educational experience. So this sort of feed-forward system would require information to be handed from one clerkship to the next as a student progresses through. And then finally, it does require opportunities for students to demonstrate growth and development through longitudinal experiences. And while the residency selection process Actually, what I'll say is I was a little bit disappointed that in this article they do um, comment on how the residency selection process uh, is flawed in this way, uh, and they do call to change it. Nothing specific in this article was offered in terms of solutions or potential impact of a competency-based grading system on an individual learner per se. So the second article I want to speak to in the podcast this week is called Crossing the Gap, Using Competency-Based Assessment to Determine Whether Learners Are Ready for the Undergraduate to Graduate Transition. And this, um, the lead author here was Dr. Catherine Murray, who worked uh, with an entire group to publish this. This also came out in Academic Medicine in 2019. Um, and this article talks about this cool program, which is called the Education in Pediatrics Across the Continuum, or EPAC which was a group of medical education leaders that came together to work on competence-based grading and training. Um, And the students involved in this program would directly transition into pediatric residency. And the reason pediatrics was selected sort of as the test or pilot group is because this field has a very high rate of students who initially say they're gonna be pediatricians then going on to actually become pediatricians. So there's some stability of career choice from the beginning. And they felt that that would work really well for this study. So four medical schools were involved. And the first thing they needed to do was come together and decide on a framework. So they selected those EPAs, those core entrustable professional activities for entering residency. And most of the schools decided to use that Chen Entrustment Scale. But some schools modified uh, the Entrustment Scale for their own purposes. Across the board, though, all four of the participating schools chose supervision level 3A from that Chen entrustment scale to be their signal and their threshold for the learner to be uh, ready for residency on that particular EPA. So, that level 3A from the Chen entrustment scale, just as a reminder, is allowed to practice EPA under reactive or on-demand supervision with the supervisor immediately available with all findings being double checked. At all the sites, the students were given the primary responsibility for asking for and obtaining these EPA-based assessments. They're the ones who had training at the front end of the program to identify when an EPA was being practiced or delivered and then they were coached to ask their overseeing faculty to evaluate them on that particular EPA. The sites varied in the amount of faculty development they did on the project, um, some having as little as six-person hours of training, and some having as much as 32-person hours of training. And there was a variable amount of average assessments between the schools ranging from 1.4 to 4.2 assessments per week, and they reported that they took an average of two to five minutes to complete a singular EPA assessment. Uh, These assessments were completed by both faculty and residents And not surprisingly, they found that some of the EPAs there was a ton of data for and others there was less opportunity to collect data around that particular EPA. They also had clinical competency committees at each of these four sites that would review each student on an individual level and make a consensus-based decision on entrustment. I think it's interesting to note that one of the four schools didn't have traditional clerkship gradings. But at the other three schools, this pilot program was done with this subsection of pediatric-bound students in parallel with the um, traditional clerkship grading process. And they were able to use that traditional process to sort of compare the two. And there were no substantial performance deficiencies captured in the EPA assessment or the experimental process that were not also captured by the traditional grading process. Um, which I thought was interesting. And and the outcome, well, that was as varied as the learners themselves, with some students meeting the threshold to progress to intern level responsibility in the summer of their fourth year, others in the fall, some in the spring, and some right on time around graduation. So the take-home lessons for me from this article is that this system does exactly what it's designed to do, which is offer highly individualized progression and advancement decisions Also, that individual assessment within a core competency committee was needed to make entrustment decisions. Um, And these core competency committees did have an administrative price tag. Um, The assessments needed to be compiled and prepared in a user-friendly way. Uh, The third take-home point was that faculty time investment in the reporting of EPAs was not necessarily a high price tag. And that faculty development actually was on the lean side, whereas the the learner was taught to uh, identify when they should be assessed and to trigger that assessment and ask for it specifically from their preceptors. Uh, The the fourth take-home point really is that an electronic platform was necessary to capture all this information. And finally, and I think this is pretty exciting, the data acquired informed what normal progression at that institution was along a particular competency. Um, In this case, they use the EPAs for their competency, but now they have this data to sort of look at going forward for future learners and comparing their progress uh, to to what has been collected so far. So I think some of these take-home items may impact our rapid action team's work, including the need for frequent competency-based assessment from preceptors, the need for a reliable electronic platform, with administrative support around that holistic review of the learners in something like a clinical competency committee. Uh, In VISTA, there are plans for consistent and strong application of the milestones that have been developed from our own physician competencies, and I think that's what we would use rather than EPAs at UMass Chan. Our LPAT team has worked on the creation of portfolios to support this kind of holistic learner development and analysis. So such a pivot like this to competency-based grading in third year is aligned, and it seems like we're starting to build the framework for it. So if this is an area of interest for you, I'd love to hear from you. And if you're someone who's been recruited to work on our rapid action team, I thank you in advance for your work and thoughtfulness, and I really look forward to the group's recommendations. That's all for this week. Have a wonderful weekend.